Let us now turn to Matthew 26. Matthew 26 and verse 57. Last time, I think that was two weeks ago, we looked at this portion. We began to look at the prosecution of the Lord Jesus. We saw... First of all, in verses 47 to 56, where we were last time, he was arrested. He was arrested and taken, taken in. He could have called 12 legions of angels. 72,000. One legion is six. <clears throat> but he didn't. He knew this was to be, as he said to Peter. Thus it would be fulfilled in verse 54. How shall the scripture be fulfilled if this doesn't happen? This doesn't happen. And so this is assigned. He came to the world to save sinners and that he must die to save us. Now we go to verse 57 to 66 and we see, secondly, he's not arrested, but he is accused. This is his act, the accusations that were brought against him. We read in verse 57 and following, and they that had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and elders were assembled. But Peter followed him afar off unto the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priest and the elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet they found none. At the last came two false witnesses and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is this which these witnesses witness against thee? And Jesus held his peace, and the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast said. Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He hath spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard, how, heard his blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, He is guilty of death. And they did spit in his face, buffeted him, and others smote him with the palm of their hands, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who smote thee? Now Peter sat without in the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also wast with this Jesus of Galilee. And he denied it before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him, and said unto them, that were there, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. After a while came he unto the they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou art also one of them. Thy speech bewayeth thee. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, Oh, no, not the man. And immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord Jesus, who said unto him, before the cock rose, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Let's pray. 
Thank you, Lord, for your word and for this sombre account of the accusations that are brought against you and you went through these things knowing the end was near, knowing the cost you're going to pay, the price to be paid for our salvation. And thus it must be fulfilled. Our Lord, you are true to your word and you'll keep your word and may we be followers of you. True to the word and Lord, let it be fulfilled in our lives. Lord, thank you for going all the way and being accused, being treated as you were here, that we might live forever. Bless the thoughts of this passage to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> well, <clears throat> he is accused. He is accused before, first of all, the religious rulers of the Jews in the, these verses that we read down to verse 50 to 75. The terrible and tragic trial of the Lord is seen here and heard through the eyes of the Apostle Peter as he is observing what is happening. We notice, first of all, here where Peter went and warmed himself. Verse 57. And they that had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and elders were assembled. And Peter followed him afar off unto the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants. <clears throat> and we know that he sat by a fire at that time. He went and warmed himself. Uh, <clears throat> it doesn't necessarily say that in this passage, but in the parallel passages in other Gospels, it does say that. And we see the inner court where Jesus was tried in verse 57. The court of the high priest, and the high priest name at that time was Caiaphas, an audience chamber where Annas, the former high priest, and Caiaphas were present there, and where their palaces were, palace was. Peter positioned himself so that he could see the Lord. <clears throat> Let's turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 18, and verse 15. So he's in the outer room, the Lord's in the inner room, and Peter sat so he could see through and what was happening. <clears throat> in chapter 18 and verse 15, and Simon, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple that Jesus was known unto the high priest. That, dis that disciple, sorry, was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. He was known to the high priest because he's a relative. That was John. But Peter stood at the door without. <clears throat> then went out that other disciple, John, who was known unto the high priest. Now he's putting himself in a lot of in a dangerous position. <laughs> but he went out and spoke unto her that kept the door and brought in Peter. They, she apparently also knew John. <coughs> and then said the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art not thou the one also of this man's disciples? He said, I am not. And the servants and the officers stood there who had made a fire of coals, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. <laughs> There's a lot we can learn from Peter 
doing what he did this night. Uh, he's at least one of the, or two of the twelve that were there. But he wasn't. <clears throat> he wasn't admitting to who he was, was he? He was actually denying it vehemently. So Peter positioned himself so he could see John was going to bring him in a bit closer. And probably afterward, he probably wished that John hadn't asked, invited him in <laughs> to be where he was. But his position, <clears throat> he was at the world's fire, warming himself. And I can hear some preachers going to town on that one, <laughs> that we ought not be near and warming ourselves with the world's fire, should we? <clears throat> We're going to be in trouble. We're putting ourselves into compromising situations. Have you ever been to something like that where you're in a compromising situation? <laughs> you're at a, a Christmas party, you thought you shouldn't go and you did, or something of that nature, and they were all drinking, they were swearing, they were telling their jokes, carousing around, and you know, what am I doing here? Well, I think Peter probably thought, what am I doing here? But he was there. For the Lord, but he is warming himself by the world's fire. And we should not warm ourselves by the world's fire. We should warm ourselves with a fellowship of the saints, not by the world and what it has to say and complement us with and provide us with. <clears throat> if we go back to verse 58 of chapter 26 of Matthew, and Peter followed him afar off unto the high priest palace. Peter followed him afar off. Peter was doing what Psalm chapter 1 and verse 1 says we ought not to do. Right there with these people. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. His delight is in the law of the Lord. But here was Peter. He was there. He was afar off. We could say in many, in more ways than one, Peter was afar off, was he not? <clears throat> doing this, sitting with them, warming himself with them. He was with the wrong crowd. He was in with the world's crowd. Christ deniers. Afar off is a, a thought we could centre in on too. <clears throat> there are a few people who were afar off. In Matthew 27 and verse, well, it's right there, 55, Psalm 27, I mean, Matthew 27 55, and many women who were beholding are far off who followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him. They weren't drawing too close. And they were beholding afar off. <clears throat> remember the film Sheffy? You remember the occasion there where that woman was listening in afar off? Wouldn't you have and the one that put the rose in the coffin at the end? You know? <laughs> You know, you won or something. It was a red and a white rose. It's so long since I've seen that film. But she was afar off, listening outside the tent, as it were. <laughs> but when we're afar off from the Lord, spiritually speaking, that's not a place we should be. The Gadarean maniac in Mark 5, verse 6, saw Jesus afar off and he ran and worshipped him. He drew a lot closer. Jesus saw a fig tree afar off. He came to it and found no fruit on it. In Matthew, uh, Mark 11 verse 13, the rich man 
saw Abraham and Lazarus afar off. And that's a terrible spot to be in the time that they were. This was after life. <clears throat> and a great gulf was fixed between them. And they were going to be afar off forevermore. And still are afar off and even further now because those in the, the blessed part of paradise there, <clears throat> like Lazarus at that time, have been taken to be in heaven, I believe. He took captivity captive. The Lord Jesus did when he rose and ascended to heaven. <clears throat> afar off. You don't want to be in that position of the rich man. And there's a lot of people today afar off who are not saved, who are condemned in their sin and they're away from the Lord. They're so far from him and they don't realise it like the rich man was. He had plenty, he had all, but he was afar off from the, from the things of eternity, from life. How many of our friends and family are afar off? You know, at every funeral there are people that come that are not saved. That's a burden to me when I'm at ministering at a funeral that the message is clear and plain to those people. They're drawn near because of respect of somebody, a neighbour or a friend, and they come to a funeral. And even on Wednesday that was the case. There were those people that were not saved that were there and make the message plain that they need to come near. Neighbours from across the street come over and say, what time's the funeral? They come along. Relatives and friends from time past were there. Work friends were there. But they're far off from God and they need to know that they don't go where this man was and this man could not fix it. While well, you've got life, you've got hope, like the Gadarean maniac, to draw near to the Lord and not stay afar off. The ten lepers who stood afar off from Jesus in Luke 17, verse 12. <laughs> Come nigh to the Lord and be healed. The praying publican. Remember he? He went and prayed afar off, it says. <laughs> and uh, he beat upon his breast. But the other fellow thought he was all right and he was drawn nigh. <laughs> And he was all wrong. But the fellow that repented, he was the one that truly drew near. <clears throat> um, the publican. Not lift so much as his eyes toward heaven. What a humbling, humble attitude he had. And he could draw nigh to the Lord. And it's interesting to look at all of these ones. This is a few of the ones I drew from the scripture. <clears throat> all who are afar off, there is the promise if they repent in Acts 2.39 and be baptised, they will be saved. Now, you can drop the baptism for salvation. <laughs> but if they repent, they will be saved. Christ came and preached to those who were afar off. Who's that? <laughs> Us. <laughs> he came to preach to those who are afar off. <laughs> Old Testament saints. <clears throat> it's interesting. They saw the promises of God afar off. <laughs> Long way in the future. But by faith they participated in them. They knew that they'd come true. And, 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 and you know what? We as Christians, we can say they're not far away. They said they were a long way. We can say it's close. It's close. And as Jill's dad talked to us on the phone there just a few weeks ago, talking about things for about half an hour and 
<clears throat> his hope was, what do you think his hope was at his age? To yeah, to be raptured, <laughs> to be taken up, to be with the Lord. <laughs> That's the last thing we talked about. <laughs> and uh, the hope that he wouldn't have to go through the veil of the shadow of death, but he has gone. And now he's there and we're left here. Who, who, who's better off? <laughs> he is. <clears throat> As a, we're talking about Mr. Wilson this morning and, <clears throat> and the knocking the keys and the clock thing. And he, he, he said, you're only a young whippersnapper. I'll, go, I'll get there before you. And he did a long time ago. As he shifted down to the potentialer and then went from there. <laughs> but we see God's promises afar off and we embrace them as they of the Old Testament did. Hebrews 11 and verse 13. And were persuaded of them. Read the pro prophetic scriptures and embrace the truth of them. <laughs> When religious and political Babylon is destroyed and her merchants and her kings stand afar off for fear of her torment. It, it does sound like they stay away from where the, the big bang is happening. And it, for, for the reason that they stay away could be guessed, but it might be because it's nuclear. And they stay away, away from that. You can see it a long way off because of the fallout from that but staying afar off. Turn to Psalm 139 and verses 1 to 12. Psalm 139. And we read, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsittings, my uprisings. Thou understandest my thoughts. Afar off. <laughs> God knows our thoughts, even though he be afar off. That compass my path and my lying down, acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain to it. Whither shall I go from thy presence, or whither shall I flee? from thy spirit or whither shall I flee from thy presence if I ascend up to heaven thou art there if I make my bed in hell behold thou art there if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me huh, we're never afar off from the Lord are we those who are his children are always drawn close <laughs> This is what this passage is saying. He even knows the thoughts of my mind before I pray them. He knows the thoughts and intents of my heart. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the, the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day, and the darkness and the light are both alike unto thee. He's not afar from those who love him. He's always listening. It's like a parent with a child. If you love your children, you'll make sure they're safe. <laughs> you'll make sure where they are. You'll make sure that they're not running into danger, getting into trouble. And for parents who have children who have gone afar off, it's a heartache and it's a heartbreak. <clears throat> Pray for them that they draw near to the Lord and don't stay afar off. He is watching them all the time. You're watching them. You're praying for them and keep doing that until they be drawn to him. Even there art thou. We 
find from Psalm 139. Back to the passage and move to verse 59. Peter followed him afar off the high priest's palace and went in, sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death. And so this is what Peter witnessed and what he watched happen. He saw these false witnesses come. <clears throat> Those, first of all, with a weak testimony in 59 and 60, in verse 60, but they found none, though many false witnesses came. Yea, they found none. At least, at last came two false witnesses. So the Zoza with a weak testimony, and even the high priest knew that this wouldn't do to condemn the Lord Jesus Christ. They, they couldn't accuse him on the basis of their false witnesses. Isn't it amazing that there were so many people that clamoured to make a false testimony against the Lord Jesus Christ? Was it for a dollar or a shekel or whatever they did in those days? Was it because they didn't like him because he had rebuked their lifestyle? And, and that happens today to Christians. Doesn't it? You rebuke the lifestyle of an unsaved person and what do they want to do? They want to bring an accusation against you. That's in the media constantly before us these days. Uh, the freedom of speech and all the things that are going on in our country. You can't say what's truth anymore because they want to nail you. And here they wanted to nail the Lord. These multitude of people that come against him to give. And all that he had done is spoke the truth in love, healed them, went about doing good. And I suppose if books were written, the world couldn't contain the books that could be written about what the Lord did for them at that time. Maybe it was all the doctors went out of business that were wanting to accuse him because a lot of sick people were healed. A, quack, a lot of quacks giving their medications out weren't doing business because the Lord was healing people all over the country. But anyway, whoever it was, <clears throat> they were out to accuse him. And the Lord said nothing. He didn't have to. <laughs> they were false witnesses. Some, when you're falsely accused, sometimes it's the best to keep quiet. Because if you open your mouth, you might make a reasons for accusation. Not that you've <clears throat> done something wrong. But then we have those with a watertight testimony, so they thought, in verse, the last part of verse 60, and the last two false witnesses came <clears throat> and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy <clears throat> the temple of God and to build it in three days. Yeah. And we know what he meant. They didn't know what he meant. <clears throat> Did Jesus say what these two said? He said, No. He said, destroy this temple. And he probably pointed to himself, not to the temple. They said, I will destroy the temple. I will destroy the temple. <clears throat> he said, destroy this temple. Let's go to John's Gospel where it is written. And if the lawyers and the, the people judging the Lord, they're accusing the Lord at this time, had done the right thing, they wouldn't have been pointing the finger at the Lord at all because they knew this was false. <laughs> Chapter 2 and verse 19 of John. There we read, Jesus answered said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And said the Jews, Forty and six years. See, they misunderstood what he said. <clears throat> six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? He spoke of the temple of his body. 
<clears throat> when he was risen from the dead, the disciples remembered that he had said unto them, and they believed the scriptures and the word which Jesus had spoken. And <clears throat> there's the true record of what happened. And down to verse 22. These biased, belligerent Pharisees just wanted to secure a conviction at any cost. It doesn't matter if it's false, true or otherwise. When people are like that, when unsaved people go at a, a believing person, they just want to get an accusation by any means possible to bring the believing person down, to bring the Lord down. They cared little about accuracy. And if you're <clears throat> even in a court, whether it's the lawyers, the barristers and the solicitors, are they worried about truth? You know, if you're a solicitor, remember um, John Contista, the clerk of the Court of Albury? He trained himself to be up, up to be a solicitor. In the meantime, he got saved. <laughs> and then he said, I'm not going to practice as a solicitor for the public because people will come to me for me to get them off the hook for them doing sin. For doing the wrong thing. I don't want to do that. And so he became a DPP, a department, he worked for the Department of Prosecutions, and he prosecuted people. And from Wagga, he did that. And um, I, I don't know if he's still practicing in there. No, he'd burn out really quick. I said to him, how can you remember three or four cases with all the people and all the events to get it right? And his concern was to cut it straight. <laughs> to make sure that the, the crook got just his just desserts and the innocent got their reward or whatever, got, got off. And <clears throat> not, not these fellas on this day, not these religious people and religious lawyers on this day. So many today are just trying to get off. Can you imagine our country and the court system probably would collapse financially if people said, I did it? And admitted to the truth. Oh, what a savings it would be. You got you know, Israel Falar and the two million dollars or something, right? Oh boy. <laughs> and who's going to feed off that? The solicitors and the barristers, the judges and everything else, all employed at a very high cost to do this. These people are out for themselves. <laughs> majority of people like that and so they were in the Lord's day when it come to bring accusation against the Lord of glory they were out for themselves what they could get out of it or what they could do to win themselves position and power and how did the Lord react in verse 63 <clears throat> oh yes we read from John the other portion of scripture this fellow said I'm able to destroy this temple and build in three days and the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is this which these witness against thee? And Jesus held his peace. <laughs> he held his peace. So long as these two false witnesses gave the Pharisees something that satisfied their legal code, they didn't care about detail. They didn't care about the truth. And there's a faithful witness we can see in the last part of 63 to 66. 
And the high priest answered and said unto him in verse 63, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. This is the oath here that was that he was trying to, uh, he was under oath. <laughs> the wicked man, Caiaphas, knew Christ's claim. He was a smart fellow with his mind, Caiaphas. That's why he was where he was. <clears throat> and ministered to Christ was the question that Caiaphas put. Caiaphas could, could get a court full of witnesses, but instead he adjured Christ by God. So silence on Christ's part would condemn him just as a positive yes to this question provided Caiaphas illegally with self-incriminating evidence. It's all wrong. Everything that happened that night was wrong. It was done by the, 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 the wicked mind of a man that hated the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> he was trying to get him to self-incriminate himself. We see the answer of the Lord in 64. Jesus said unto him, Thou hast said. The Lord put a bit of a knife into him. <laughs> you said it. I am the Christ. That's one way of saying, You, you, you said it. <laughs> and I say yes to that. Are you the Son of God? A claim to be the Messiah would damn him in the eyes of the Romans. This would earn him capital punishment as a traitor to the Romans. A claim that he was the son of God would damn him in the eyes of the Jews and this would earn him capital punishment as a blasphemer to the Jews. So whichever way the Lord answered this question, that's what these lawyers and people are like. They can trap you in a corner. You can't go either way. You, you, you condemn yourself. And that's where they put the Lord at this time. So he just said, Thou hast said, nevertheless I say to you. <clears throat> Christ answered immediately, explicitly, and unequivocally. He didn't beat around the bush. He wasn't warming himself by a worldly fire like Peter. He was willing to own up. And as Troy was talking about this morning, you know, <clears throat> the, this sort of thing. Are we willing to own up to who we are and what we believe? in front and face of other people? Or do we become cowards and back down when we could be speaking the truth to these people? <laughs> and when you have said what you believe and you've got into trouble for it, it sort of makes you a bit careful about the next time. But nonetheless, we should speak the truth, shouldn't we? We're, we're going to go out tomorrow, <clears throat> many of us into workplaces, where they're all unsaved people and they'll be putting us on the spot and they'll try to corner us if they know we're Christians. And it doesn't take, us, take them long to find out that we're Christians <laughs> by what we don't do usually and don't say and don't participate in. And then they'll, then they'll start trying to corner you and to say things in your presence to make you laugh at wicked things. I know, <laughs> been there. And... and Sometimes in innocence you're there and you get caught laughing or saying things and, and then you realise this is a double-sided joke and you just got to be careful but you've got to own the Lord as the Lord owned up to who he was knowing the consequences that either way he was going to deserve uh, or, or bring upon himself capital punishment. Yet he answered immediately, explicitly, unequivocally. Thou hast said. Hmm. 
This would have irritated and angered Cephas <clears throat> because he, Jesus said to him, You said it, I am the Son of God. And what did the Lord add to the answer here? <clears throat> you don't need to believe now, but one day you'll see in spite of your unbelief. The Lord at least got this in, didn't he? See that red verse there? <laughs> I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power. <laughs> what has Cephas seen since Cephas died? <laughs> the Lord in his power. Sitting in the, on the throne of authority. Waiting for the great white throne judgment to happen. It's going to happen. See, we see afar off, don't we? We see the end and know that at the end of it all, these unsaved, belligerent people, these people that try to accuse you, these people that try to get you to forsake the Lord Jesus Christ will be judged by the Christ that we believe in, will be brought to their knees. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess before the Lord God Almighty. All judgment has been committed to the Son. And he will judge. And he will judge righteously. None of these bribed barristers or solicitors or judges anymore. And, and I, I fear for those people on judgment day. That have made all these wrong judgments and got crooks off the hook for murder, mayhem and all the things they've done in society. Would to God that people would realise, as Jesus pointed to Cephas, you one day will stand before me and I will judge you. <laughs> That's what he's saying, straight to him, to his face and to everybody in the courtroom. Imagine what it done to Peter. Oh, you know, stiffened his back a little bit when he heard the Lord. If he did, I think he would have just say this to Cephas. <clears throat> and you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. <laughs> he brought in his coming, didn't he? When that happens, it'll be a wonderful day. And it says, and the books were opened. And the book of life was opened. Is your name written here? Oh, it was, but it's been crossed out. See where it was? <laughs> it's out of the book. Oh, let's open the other book and see what you did in life. And here are all your works, Cephas. Ha ha Remember the day you had the Son of God. You had me before you. You had me bowing before you, but now you're bowing before me. Remember the day? You know, that judgment, you think, oh, it'll take eternity to judge people like that. When all the people of the world who are unsaved have died and have to be judged. No, one day was the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. It'll be quick, but if you're, in, if you're being judged at that time, imagine how long it'll be. You know how it happens in a flash, but you can remember everything? In that day, time won't be. But everyone will be given individual attention on all that they did that was wrong. Now, for the Christian, there's another day and another judgment, isn't there? And it's before that one. That's at the beamer seat. We'll be judged for the works that we do for the Lord, not for our sins because they've been judged by the Lord. We've been forgiven and cleansed. But this man and every other person, everyone that's treated you in the wrong way, everyone that's taken you down and taken anyone down, they will be judged 
you will sit, he will sit in judgment on them. And the Lord said this, and I believe Caiaphas understood it, but it didn't stop him doing what he did. <clears throat> so the Lord added that in that day, a day of reckoning. He got a little taste on the resurrection day only a few days later. Remember <clears throat> that the Jewish people, the religious leaders said this, this individual, they gave the Lord a name, this one, this betrayer, he's, this fellow said he's going to rise in three days. So let's, he said to the Romans, let's make this, the, the tomb secure. And they, the Romans said, go do it. Secure it. Secure it as best you can. And in three days' time, the soldiers come dashing in to Caiaphas's palace saying, he's gone. It happened. <laughs> and then they said, spread the news around that his disciples come and sign. Give a false story. It, we, we will, we will um, cover for you. <laughs> So it started even then, while Caiaphas was still alive, that I begin, maybe began to realise this person that I dealt with and that I judged is risen from the dead. And notice then in verse 65, the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He hath spoken blasphemy when the Lord said what he did and owned up to being the Son of God, the King of Israel, the eternal Son of God. <clears throat> what further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now you have heard this blasphemy. This, this, this can't, couldn't be done in their court, but he did it. Self-incriminating evidence to condemn him to death. Everything was wrong about this court. What think ye? They answered, <clears throat> said, he is guilty of death. With one chorus, they spoke, one voice. And they did spit upon his face, buffeted him, and they smote him with the palm of their hand, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who smote thee? <clears throat> and so we said the outcry there, the death sentence and decree by the Sanhedrin there at that time. The rending of his vesture is significant. He rent the vesture. The high priest's robe was known as the robe of the ephod in Exodus 39.22. It was woven all of blue linen, the colour of heaven, to remind priests and the people alike of his high and holy calling, the high priest's. That is, it was hemmed with pomegranates and bells of pure gold, which were reminders that he was to ha have a ringing testimony for God. This is, the, this is the thing that was rent here this day. A ringing testimony for God, and he was to be exceedingly fruitful in the service of God. A neck, his neck was protected with an habinger, literally a coat of mail. The Holy Spirit added that it should not rend that it should not rend. When Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, were executed by God for profaning their ministry, Aaron, Eliezer, and the father of the brothers of the dead men were expressly warned not to rend their garments, an expression of dismay, Leviticus 10, verse 6. By tearing his garment here, wicked Kephias did more than he realized. He rendered the office he so terribly disgraced as null and void. The priest's office was finished. You know, in doing that, he was saying, it's all done. God tore it up and discarded it as definitely as the high priest ruined his robe. God had no more use for this office. He had a new high priest. 
the Lord Jesus Christ about to be <coughs> made so, whom he would soon install in heaven as one that we could go to. A few hours later, God also tore the temple veil. So the, the, the priest's robe and the temple veil were both rent. <coughs> Rented into making the temple, its sacrifices, its service, and the Judaism has embodied by these people obsolete. No further use in the divine economy of serving man. So Cephas asked the court for a verdict and he got what he wanted. He is guilty of death. And doing what he did and saying what he said, it just incriminated him and, and you know, on judgment day at the great white throne, all the Lord has to do is say, uh, give me that New Testament. Let me read what happened. I mean, he doesn't have to do that. <laughs> it's all written down and has so. <clears throat> so he's accused. Whose side are you on? <laughs> Would you be close, a bit afar off like Peter, <laughs> warming yourself by the fire? And hearing the Lord going through what he did and answering like he did, and the Lord always had the right answer, and saying, I should be backing him, I should be there saying, yes, that's right, I should be saying, amen, <laughs> tell him, Lord, <laughs> but I wasn't, and that's, he went out, and we will look at that next time. <clears throat> he went out and wept bitterly. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for what you did there as you were arrested and accused. Thank you for how you answered and the insight we have today as we study the scriptures and compare them one with another. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have our earthly priest. The robe has been rent. <laughs> by one of their own and the temple veil has been rent and we have access to the high priest, the true eternal high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Lord, may we take advantage of that and go into the closet and pray to the Lord. And may we be empowered for service and ministry. May we not warm ourselves by the world's fire, but warm ourselves with the fellowship of the saints. And maybe, Lord, tonight there are people sitting watching their TV that could be in church. Shame. Shame. Because one day they will answer at the beamer seat for this, their actions, if they don't confess. Lord, bless us as we go away to be the testimony, bold testimony, as you were, that we should be for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.